Welcome to Blue Dot, a look at our place in space. I'm Dave Schloem. Water defines our blue planet and the life that has evolved here to depend on it. It's a precious resource, but one that's not as well understood as it should be based on its importance to all living things and our civilization. In this program, we'll take a look at a relatively new NASA mission launched in December of 2022 that seeks to better understand Earth's oceans and terrestrial surface waters. It's called SWAT for Surface Water and Ocean Topography, and it's a cooperative mission between oceanographers and hydrologists in the United States and France. Joining us to talk about it are two scientists who work on the mission. Ben Hamlington is an oceanographer from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, and hydrologist Tamlin Pavelski is from the University of North Carolina. Ben Hamlington and Tamlin Pavelski, welcome to Blue Dot. Yeah, thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so this mission was launched about a year ago, December 15th, 2022. It's also a partnership with CNES, the French Space Agency, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so CNES has been a key partner, uh, really an, an equal partner in a lot of ways with NASA uh, from, the, from the very beginning of uh, conceptualizing SWAT. It, and you pronounce it CNES because I've seen it two different ways. I, I've noticed like I've seen it CNES, CNES. CNES is, the, is that the way the French like to say it? That's how I've heard them say it. Okay, well, we'll go with Kness. Sounds cool. And this just kind of goes back to a long partnership with the French Space Agency going way back to like the first oceanography observing satellites like Topex Poseidon, correct? Yeah, so this, this uh, partnership that uh, we relied on for SWAT goes all the way back to the early 90s with the launch of the Topex Poseidon satellite. And this is what we now call conventional radar altimetry. And there's just this long history of missions that extend out over three decades now. So yeah, it's a really, really great partnership and one that, uh, again, paid dividends with SWAT. And it seems like each iteration of these um, these ocean-observing satellites in particular, like Topex Poseidon and then Jason, um, it just our resolution and our understanding of the ocean just gets better and better. So this is a very exciting mission. Um, before we really get into the, the bits and pieces of, of SWAT, can you tell us how it also kind of integrates into the other Earth-observing satellites like Jason and, and the GRACE mission that you know, helps measure groundwater? Yeah, I can, I can let Tamlin jump in on, on SWAT specifically, but uh, to cover what those other altimeters provide. So it's in a long track measurement is what we call it. So it essentially measures the, the height of the ocean or the height of the water directly below the satellite as it orbits the Earth. Um, so what that does is it, it actually creates some gaps and it, it limits the resolution that you can ultimately see. So we have this really nice long record from those uh, JSON altimeters, but there are some gaps there. And it also doesn't allow us to get right up to the coast um, it, just because of the type of measurement that's being made. So SWAT really does start to fill some gaps uh, on the ocean side, certainly getting us to higher resolutions closer to the coast. And Tamlin, if you want to speak about the uh, the hydrology side. Yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, those altimeters that uh, that we've had for a long time, as Ben mentioned, they, um, you know, they're making one-dimensional measurements, essentially, right? They're measuring along, along a line. And the big difference with SWAT, or one of the big differences, is that it's measuring height, the, you know, the height of the water surface over an area. So you can actually see like an image of water surface height. And over the ocean, as, as Ben mentioned, that's going to be really interesting, uh, especially over coastal oceans, but also over... Uh, over uh, the entire ocean, but over over uh, terrestrial water, right? So over rivers and over lakes. 
We've never really had a satellite before where we could get really good uh, measurements of like the height of water in a river or the, the, the water surface elevation in a lake from space. And SWAT is, SWAT is providing that um, everywhere. So it's, it's really kind of a step change from those other missions, right? So Topix Poseidon was amazing. It's been called the most successful oceanographic experiment of all time. And all of the follow-ons from Topix Poseidon, right? They were all these, these sort of nadir altimeters looking straight down. And SWAT is different fundamentally because it's measuring images of elevation rather than just uh, what's happening right underneath the satellite. Yeah, and I mentioned the GRACE satellite, which uses gravity to to measure groundwater. And of course, groundwater is a huge component of the Earth's um, water system, our hydrology system. But this is the first time, from my understanding, that we've been able with SWOT, S-W-O-T, to really monitor globally the Earth's surface water. Is that right? That's pretty exciting. It is. It's really exciting. Um, certainly, we've been able to see where water is in the past. But if you're a water manager and you want to know how much water is flowing through your river or how much water is stored in your reservoir, just knowing the extent of the water isn't really enough. And so essentially SWAT is adding another dimension into our picture. We're seeing in 3D rather than 2D now in the sense that we can, yeah, we can see volume changes with SWAT, which is something that uh, we've had to come up with very creative ways of trying to do that by combining multiple satellites or satellite and ground-based measurements in the past. And those creative ways were okay, but they, they were definitely uh, far from perfect. And, and SWAT is, uh, is moving us past that and giving us a fundamentally new kind of measurement. Well, let's talk about the the technology on this satellite um, because it's it's kind of new and revolutionary. Tell tell us about the Karen radar instrument. How does that work, and how is it how is it better? How is it different from previous missions? So um, the Karen instrument it is fundamentally different from the kinds of satellite measurements that we've had before for measuring oceans and, and uh, rivers and lakes. It's actually the, the, the closest heritage instrument to it was something we don't usually think about as a satellite, although it was very briefly. And that is this mission that flew uh, more than 20 years ago called the Shuttle Radar Topography Mission, or SRTM. Oh, and yeah, what they I did is that. they basically put a big radar antenna in the space shuttle and used it to provide the best measurement at the time that we've, we'd ever had of Earth's topography in general, right? So we're not talking about water topography, we're talking about land topography here. And a lot of the people who kind of came up with and worked on that idea said, wait a minute, you know, if we take this technology and we alter it a little bit, rather than measuring land surfaces, we can actually get elevations of water surfaces instead. And that was the birth of this, this concept of Karen. Yeah, and uh, in terms of how it uh, compares to other satellites, I mean, there's a lot of other missions out there that do part of what SWAT does, but not the entirety of it. So Tamlin already mentioned that with other satellites, we know where water is. So we have optical satellites, we have synthetic aperture radar satellites, so we can kind of measure the extent of water, but not the height. Um, over the ocean with those JSON altimeters, we can measure the height of the ocean along a line, but not really see these features in the same detail in, in two dimensions. 
and get those height measurements that are so important to understand the small scales in the ocean and kind of what's happening on the coastline. So SWAT really is just this giant step forward in terms of what we're able to observe. And I don't think there are that many gaps in terms of what we observe um, here on Earth, but I think SWAT fills some really important ones and really just adds value to those other other satellites that are making observations as well. Well, there's two parts to this mission, of course, because that's built into the name surface water and, and ocean. So let's start with the ocean since it's, you know, most of the water on Earth is contained there. And like 93.4%, I believe, of the excess heat is being absorbed by the oceans from, from our contributions to planetary warming. Um, let's talk about some of the cool things that you're studying um, with, with SWAT. Um, one of the things that really fascinates me are eddy currents. So could you talk about why they're important and, and how this satellite is going to be able to help you understand them better. Yeah, so these eddies are kind of small scale features in the ocean. It's like the swirls, the weather that's happening. So it's going to tell us a lot about um, kind of the mixing that occurs in the ocean, how heat gets transported from the surface down into the depths of, of the ocean. As you said, the ocean is playing this really important role in climate change, absorbing heat and then transporting that and kind of um, helping to be the sink that prevents the rest of the, the atmosphere and the land from warming. So, sorry. So it's playing this really important role right now in the ocean. As climate change continues to proceed and warming continues to progress, there's questions about how the ocean is going to continue to absorb the heat and, and if it's going to become less efficient, less able to do that. And that's really going to affect how the temperature is getting redistributed here on Earth. So it's it's these small scales, which you really just have not had eyes on, these eddies, these other features that are in the ocean, play a really important role in kind of the physics of climate change. Beyond that, in kind of coastal regions, there's really, as you get closer closer to the coast, um, there's more detail that's happening. So sea level rise is not the same everywhere. And where we don't have a tide gauge, we really just don't have good understanding of what sea level is doing in these areas. So SWAT's going to allow us to fill some of that gap since really that sea level change that's happening directly at the coast that's most important for, um, for, for kind of understanding the impacts that might occur in the future. Um, so it's really telling us a lot about climate change and kind of how the ocean is responding as, as uh, the atmosphere and the ocean continue to warm. And uh, kind of sticking with those um, eddy currents, which are just fascinating, beautiful to look at, you know, the imagery f that I've seen from from SWAT is just incredible. They're in really important in terms of the ocean, to, like for the transport of geochemical cycling, nutrients, and even like bad things like pollution and plastics. Could you talk a bit about like why those are really important to study and, you know, what they might be able to tell us and help us with? Yeah, so we've seen things like that, this uh, happening like in the Gulf of Mexico with with oil spills that have occurred, right? So the the way the oil will then move kind of follows these eddies and these currents that are very detailed and, and trying to understand where those harmful things in the ocean, that pollution might go um, is very difficult. It's, it's a very difficult ocean modeling exercise. SWAT's going to have a big, uh, big role in trying to improve our understanding of how that that different transport occurs. When we talk about these eddies, and we refer to it as kind of the mesoscale or even down to the what we call the sub-mesoscale, 
Um, those are really these features in the ocean that are down at tens of kilometers or less. Um, and that may not seem very small, but in terms of how big the ocean is, these are really small features in the ocean. They look like all these swirls that are happening. So um, in terms of understanding the role that kind of the mixing in the ocean has and moving heat and these other things around, the eddies are, are really critical. So I think SWAT's going to give us a new look at these ocean features and really advance our understanding of what's happening. Yeah, when you think about like maybe looking at a middle school or high school earth science textbook about the ocean, you will see, you know, the currents mapped out with these like pretty simple lines like, oh, here's the Gulf Stream going up the east coast of the United States or the California current off the west coast. But it's it's so much more complicated than that with these eddy currents. Yeah, yeah, the the, the ocean is so rough when you actually see an image of it. Um, I, I think that sometimes you can, people have an understanding of the ocean kind of as a bathtub that's going up and down. That's way too simplistic. One step beyond that is kind of like you were saying with those uh, those textbooks that show the large scale currents. But but in reality, there's just all these other types of, of features in the ocean moving on different time periods uh, with different sizes, all interacting at once um, in, in kind of complicated ways, but they're all connected to each other. So what's happening at a really small scale is connected to what's happening on the large scale. And um, it's really important to understand how those processes interact and play with each other. Um, to I, I think, the, as you already mentioned, the ocean absorbing so much of the heat that's being trapped by our atmosphere, understanding big problems like that really requires you to understand the smallest scales within the ocean. Yeah. And um, you mentioned earlier that this is going to enable us to really look at the ocean interface with the coast, the coastal areas in a way we haven't really been able to before. And I didn't really realize that. Um, what are some of the things that you really are going to be interested in using SWAT for to look at those those coastal regions? Yeah, it's, it may not seem uh, super exciting or, or scientifically important, but right now in a lot of the coastlines around the world, we just don't know where the water is. That's kind of an odd statement to make, I know, but if, if you don't have a tie gauge, um, so like so we we do have tide gauges along the coastlines of the world, but there there are big gaps between those, and we certainly don't have a tie gauge everywhere. Um, if we don't have a tie gauge, and given how our our current generation of satellites previous to SWAT was able to measure in those coastal areas, we really just didn't have a good understanding of the height of water on a day-to-day -day basis or even week to week or month to month. So, so SWAT's going to give us a look at the sea level that's occurring in those coastal areas um, and allow us to improve assessments of, of flooding as sea level continues to arise. Um, in addition, the water, the movement of the water in bays and estuaries can be quite complicated. Um, so again, SWAT's going to allow us to have measurements in those areas and really advance our scientific understanding in, in a part of the, the world along these coastlines that has so much societal relevance. Yeah, and those estuaries and wetlands that you just mentioned, those are, those are critical buffers um, for coastal areas against the rising sea. That's exactly right. They're they're really uh, at the front lines of of protecting some of our our coastal communities and some of our habitats. So it's it's really important to understand how they're going to continue to respond as as sea level rises, as the oceans warm. So SWAT's going to give us the the lens into those those different areas that um, are quite difficult to understand now, based on the observations we have available. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with oceanographer Ben Hamlington and hydrologist Tamlin Pavelski as we talk about Earth's surface water. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot.
And we're back. If you're just joining us, our guests are part of a cooperative satellite mission between oceanographers and hydrologists in the United States and France called SWAT for surface water and ocean topography. And our guests are two of the mission scientists, Tamlin Pavelski, a hydrologist from the University of North Carolina, and oceanographer Ben Hamlington from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, for places along the coast, like um, a place like Imperial Beach in Southern California pops to mind, um, that experience a lot of flooding events during high tides uh, and storms and things like that. Will this be helpful for communities, the information from this, to help them, you know, prepare for, you know, those flooding events? In kind of an indirect way. So the the sampling of SWAT is not, it, we're not getting a measurement every day uh, in Imperial Beach, for instance, right? So the ground track of SWAT, the repeat orbit is about 21 days. Um, so we're not going to have a measurement. We're not going to be able to detect every flooding event that occurs in, in coastal areas. That being said, like as I referred to, understanding where the water typically is and maybe observing some of the flood events that do happen um, will really advance our ability to model these and improve our predictions going forward. So SWAT will be beneficial in that way. It's not going to be an early warning system, anything like that, but um, it will play a role in improving the models that we use to, to make these predictions. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, let's talk about the other water that you're going to be studying, the surface water on the land. Um, and you mentioned tidal gauges. One of the things that um, people may not realize is that not all rivers and streams have gauges on. We don't really know, you know, everywhere on earth what's going on with the surface water in, in places like rivers. Um, this is going to be a game changer, isn't it? It really is going to be a game changer. Uh, this is Tamlin, by the way. You know, in the United States, the U.S. Geological Survey spends uh, probably hundreds of millions of dollars a year on maintaining this network of thousands of stream gauges. And they tell us, you know, how much water is flowing through our rivers. And that's important from a resources perspective and from the perspective of understanding flood hazards. Um, but even in the U.S., there, you know, I think, every, you know, everyone at the USGS would probably agree we wish we had more of them. And the U.S. is among the best monitored places in the world. So there are lots of other places where we really have no idea how much water is flowing through the rivers. And SWAT, for the first time, is going to allow us to really fairly accurately estimate uh, river discharge from space. Um, so we'll be able to figure out how, you know, volumetrically how much water is flowing through effectively all of the world's rivers every time uh, SWAT flies over. Now, I, I should emphasize that uh, you know, SWAT is, is not and never has been a, a mission that would replace those on-the-ground gauges. You know, they provide measurements every 15 minutes. Uh, as Ben mentioned, SWAT provides measurements. Uh, you know, it, it repeats every 21 days, but it might provide measurements on average for any place uh, about once every 10 days. And so just from a time perspective, we're really glad we still have those, those on-the-ground measurements. But what SWAT provides, but uh, that that gauge network doesn't provide is just that baseline spatial coverage everywhere that'll allow us to better assess how how our water resources are changing. Yeah, and there are river systems, too, that just don't have any gauges at all. Absolutely. I was just talking with uh, some colleagues about, uh, you know, you, you don't think about uh, Papua New Guinea and big rivers necessarily, but... Uh, some of the biggest rivers in the world by 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 discharge, you know, definitely top 50 rivers in the world are are flowing into the ocean off of Papua New Guinea. And almost none of them have ever been gauged. And it's this 
actually pretty big contribution of fresh water to the to the ocean that we just don't really have quantified at all. And that's just one example. There's lots of other places where we don't have enough uh, measurements. And I, I imagine like looking at a large scale watershed, like for example, the Colorado Basin or the Mississippi River uh, system, it's kind of like a circulatory system where you've got, you know, the the little tiny um, veins and arteries feeding into the main ones. And uh, will this really enable you for the, you know, to, to really get a handle on how water is moving through these large scale watersheds? So it will. SWAT is not going to see the very smallest little capillaries in your analogy. Um, our requirement is to observe rivers that are 100 meters wide and wider. Um, having looked at some SWAT imagery, I'm very confident that we're going to meet that requirement, and we're probably going to even meet our goal of rivers that are 50 meters wide and wider. And so that's going to allow us to see, if you think about the Mississippi, that might be a kilometer or two wide, the main stem of the Mississippi. And then, so you're going to see tributaries like the Ohio or the Missouri, and you're even going to see tributaries of those, and maybe even down one or two more levels in some cases. And that's going to allow you to see, okay, where is water coming from in all of these uh, in all of these different tributaries? And you know, in some cases, we have gauges on those tributaries now. One of the things that SWAT is going to provide for us, though, is during floods, those gauges show us what's happening at only one point on the river. And if there's flooding going on, we care about where the water is and how high that water is everywhere. And we've never really had a good way to track that. And so SWAT is going to add on to what we have in terms of gauge networks, especially when we observe flood events. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, another interesting way to look at water, you know, from a hydrology point of view on on, on the surface is... Uh, well, surface and below, is it's kind of like checking versus savings accounts. You know, like the groundwater is your savings account, but you you tend to pull water out of your checking account, which is on the surface. Um, this is going to be a really interesting way for you to monitor what's going on with that checking account in a lot of places. I think that's a great analogy. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, thinking about the world's reservoirs, you know, you might think that, and by reservoirs, I mean, you know, lakes that humans have constructed. Um, you might think that all of those are really well monitored, um, and we know how much water is in all of them. But in fact, a lot of those reservoirs, we're kind of guesstimating how much water we think is 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 left in them and how that's varying over time. Even in, even in parts of the United States, you know, I know the state of Texas, for example, has something like seven thousand reservoirs, and I think they have like direct monitoring on a few hundred of them, and then the rest of them they kind of extrapolate. From those from those few hundred, and we'll be able to see all of those reservoirs, and so it'll just give us a real handle on how much uh, how much the amount of water in our checking account is is changing over time. Yeah, might have to balance that checkbook once in a while. Exactly. And uh, will this information that you have will this be shared with like water managers to you know help them you know access this information to get a handle on you know, how much water do we actually have in these reservoirs? Absolutely. So I mean, I, I two answers to that: one more general and one more specific. I think one of the great things about uh, the way NASA operates is that all of the NASA data, um, once it's uh, been validated, is free and publicly available for anyone to use for anything. And so there are no limits on on who can access the data and what they can do with it. And I, you know, I think that's that's not universal for space agencies around the world that are collecting data. And um, you know, it's 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 a real positive. 
Um, more specifically, we actually have uh, for SWAT what we call an early adopters team. So these are people, organizations who are interested in using SWAT for specific purpose, uh, specific purposes, and who want to or wanted to kind of get an early start on doing that. And so many of them have been involved in SWAT for a while. And some of those organizations are actually water management agencies who know that they're going to be interested in using SWAT data and have been preparing for it for quite some time. Ah. And um, well, back to the oceans a bit here. Uh, ben, let's talk about like your own specific interests. Like what are you most excited about with, with this mission? Questions that you have that you're particularly interested in? Yeah, you could probably um, tell from from some of my answers. My my interest is really in, in sea level rise and coastal flooding. So um, when I think about uh, the what SWAT can provide and some of the scientific questions that they lead me in that direction, and, and really trying to understand how we can provide better assessments of sea level rise and coastal flooding on, on a, a wide range of time and space scales. Because right now we're so limited to where we have tie gauges, and certainly those tie gauges will continue to be useful. But being able to fill some of those gaps, especially on a global scale. So here in the US, we have pretty good coverage from tie gauges. It's it's not too bad of a situation. But when you start looking at the global south, some of the um, Pacific islands that I, I work with that are, are very low lying, it's those areas that we really just don't have good understanding of the sea level change that's occurring and, and how it combines across time and space scales. So I'm really excited to start working with the SWAT data in some of these areas and trying to understand how that can impact the, the information we can provide to, to planners and, and those really trying to deal with sea level rise and flooding around the world. I'm also curious about you know, what SWAT data might tell you about how water is interfacing with ice. Like, for example, um, the oceans off Greenland and, and the, the, ice shell, the ice sheet there or the Arctic above and Antarctica. Are those going to be areas where we might learn some new things about what's going on with the ocean ice interfaces? Yes, yeah, so SWAT measures to, to higher latitudes than our previous some of our previous satellite missions. So, like the Jason altimeters, um, they they go up to about sixty five degrees um, north and south. Whereas SWAT, I think it's seventy nine degrees. Tamlin, you can jump in if if that's, that's about right. Okay, yeah, right around there. So, so we're actually seeing more of that ocean ice interface than than we have with these previous missions, and we're seeing some really good results coming out in terms of our understanding or uh, in terms of. Um, the ability to observe sea ice. And I think you hit on a really key point in terms of um, ongoing sea level change and the response of the ocean and cryosphere to um, to warming is it's where the ocean, the ice meet. That's really where things become very complicated. And that's that's really where some of the most important scientific questions are. Will the warmer oceans, as they're impacting the ice, cause ice mass loss to increase? Will it continue to accelerate the loss of sea ice? I think SWAT is going to provide um, additional information in, in those areas. And I, I, I think that's one of those things that um, when you launch a new mission, you're not entirely sure the full extent of what you're going to get out. You're always looking for those surprises and, and those areas that may not have been initial focus area, but really are leading to some interesting findings. And I think SWAT at those um, higher latitudes is really going to be um, an interesting area to continue to, to watch as research develops around those observations. Yeah, I was thinking of Josh Willis and you know his work on Greenland and what the oceans are doing there. And I was thinking this this could be really interesting to, to kind of add on to those studies. 
Yeah, Josh is already excited about how uh, SWAT's going to combine with his Oceans Melting Greenland, the OMG uh, mission, some of the the results they had out of out of that. So, um, yeah, I think in, in a similar way to what we've talked about in the ocean, the hydrology side, it's going to provide um, some information and some observations in places where we really don't have a good understanding and those two dimensional views that Tamla hit on at, at the top here. That's going to be really key in trying to understand how the ocean is interacting with the ice. Well, Tamlin, what about you? What are some of the things that you're particularly personally interested in as as a hydrologist in in the SWAT mission? Yeah. So, you know, the big things that get headlines are are things like reservoir water storage and river discharge. Um, I want to highlight a couple of sort of smaller, less obvious things that I think are going to be really cool. So one is that SWAT is going to provide these really detailed elevation or topographic measurements um, in rivers as you go downstream. And so we're going to be able to see all of the little features of rivers, you know, the bumps and wiggles in the elevation profile of a river. And some of those are natural, right? So rivers have these oftentimes have these structures that we call riffle pool structures, where you'll have like a little steep section and then you'll have a flat section and a steep section and a flat section. We're going to be able to map all of those, and those are uh, key from from the perspective of understanding river habitats. And there are also a lot of uh, human caused uh, obstructions or created obstructions on rivers. So things like dams and weirs and locks. And until recently, we haven't even really had a map of where all these are located on 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 big rivers uh, worldwide. And we definitely don't know how big the drop in water level is over them. Uh, characteristically. And so one of the things I'm excited about is using SWAT to better understand the fragmentation of rivers by human-created structures and what that does to things like uh, like uh, habitat in rivers or the transport of sediment in rivers. And somewhat relatedly, I'm also really interested in understanding how rivers interact with their floodplains. And I think SWAT is going, to, is going to provide us with a lot of interesting information about, you know, when you have a flood move down a river, um, you might think, oh, the water level, you know, and the river goes up and then the floodplain, it goes up too, and it's kind of like a bathtub. But, you know, Ben mentioned earlier that the ocean isn't really like a bathtub. A floodplain isn't really like a bathtub either. And there's all this interesting topography to the water surface. We know that that's true. We haven't had very many good measurements of that topography, and I'm really interested in using some of the SWAT data un to, to, to understand sort of where water goes when you have a flood wave move down a river and how high the water gets in different places. Yeah, and like you mentioned, that so many of those river systems, like for example, here in California, you know, I've got so much human infrastructure on them that they don't actually flood into their historic floodplains. At least most of the time they don't. Uh, certainly, you know, if you want to go look at uh, the big new lake in the Central Valley that happened this last <laughs> year, uh, sometimes they do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what about you, Tamlin? I would like to know a little further. Like, can you tell me, like, what are some of the practical applications that you could point to for people, like, saying, okay, well, you know, this is all great. The science is interesting. We're going to understand how these things work better. What are some practical things that you know you can point to that? For, for freshwater that this is going to, to bring to the table. Right. So we've talked a bit about water managers and uh, people who are managing reservoirs using the data. And, and you know, certainly I think that's going to be practical. But, you know, I think 
a mission like SWAT has the potential to infiltrate down to people who are less professional. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, so one of the other projects that I work on is, is called Lake Observations by Citizen Scientists and Satellites, or LOCs. And we actually install little rulers in lakes and ask people to text us in water level measurements um, to see how water level in their lakes uh, changes. And there is a lake out in Washington State that has one of these gauges in it, and there are people who take readings there regularly. And one of the things that they do with those data is they use it. Uh, they they use those data to set their no wake policy on the lake. And so when the water level reaches a, th a certain threshold, they say, "Okay, send an email out to the homeowners association. We're now no wake." So slow those boats down. Yeah, exactly. And I could imagine people using SWAT data in similar ways, right? Hey, you mm -hmm. know, we're going to go out to the lake this weekend. What's the water level looking like? Well, let's go online and take a look at the SWAT data and see, oh, is it high? Is it low? You know, what should we expect? Should we launch from this place or this place? So my hope is that in addition to sort of the scientific impacts, if we do our job right, we could actually turn SWAT data into something that regular people find useful. We're going to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our visit with hydrologist Tamlin Pavelski from the University of North Carolina and Ben Hamlington from NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab as we discuss Earth's surface waters and a new mission designed to survey them. I'm Dave Schloem, and you are listening to Blue Dot. And we're back, and thanks for listening. Let's return now to our visit with oceanographer Ben Hamlington and hydrologist Tamlin Pavelski. They're from the joint U.S.-French Surface Water and Ocean Topography Mission, also known as SWAT. We are, of course, hearing a lot in the news about this being an El Nino event year. Um, what can SWAT tell us about what's going on with the ocean in terms of the, the El Nino phenomenon? Yes, yeah, so we've actually... Um produce some some pretty cool imagery with SWAT of the the El Nino that's developing. So, so I mean SWAT can do a couple things with our conventional altimeters, our nadir pointing altimeters. We we have a pretty good idea of how SWAT is developing on these large scales in the open ocean. But some of the most important features in the development of SWAT of an El Nino are along the coastlines. Um, so we, we have some really nice imagery of what is happening in off the coast of Peru and Ecuador and South America, where that's, that's one of the first areas that's impacted, first coastlines that's impacted by a growing El Nino. So early on with uh, SWAT, uh, we were able to see some of the observations and how it was developing. And that really allows us to understand how it might be comparing to historical El Nino. So we had big El Nino in 2015, 2016, another one in 1997, 1998 that were sampled by conventional satellite altimeters. So having that look, that two-dimensional look in these coastal areas um, allows us to make some direct comparisons and start to infer how, how this El Nino might develop as we go forward. Um, and then from there, it starts to propagate up the, the coast of South America, North America, here in California, where I am. Um, so, so again, SWAT's going to give us that look in these coastal areas. 
Um, we know that El Ninos cause additional flooding to occur off the, the west coast of the United States. So being able to understand the strength can be really important information. You asked the question about kind of useful or uh, science that can be applied or observations that can be applied. That's one way that I think that um, these SWOT observations will be be very useful to people up in, say, the Bay Area, Bay Area where they're trying to understand how much sea level might rise and how that might increase their, their risk for flooding this coming winter. Yeah, and while I have you as an oceanographer, I always like to try to help people understand better what El Nino actually is. Can you explain what El Nino is from an oceanographer's point of view? Yeah, so it's this connected ocean atmosphere signal. It's, uh, I think, an easy way to think of it as kind of the seesaw that happens. It, it goes back and forth. The The timing of it is not regular. So um, it does occur during the winter, but um, the, the occurrence period is roughly every two to seven years is kind of how we frame it. But it's um, the, there are two phases of what we call the El Nino Southern Oscillation. There's the El Nino, which we're coming into this year, which is a warming in the um, eastern tropical Pacific. And then the converse is a La Nina, which is a warming in the western tropical Pacific. So we see kind of this seesaw pattern, this redistribution of heat. Um, and and a, uh, it's driven by um, changes in the trade winds that, that occur on, on these different timescales. But uh, it's a really important global climate signal. It affects not only what's happening in the Pacific Ocean, but also what's happening on a global scale. It can affect the global water cycle. Um, the precipitation that we see and the movement of water from land on, um, to ocean and, and back and forth. So plays a really key role in, in what people experience um, during these different phases of, of what we call ENSO. Well, with a, an El Nino event going on this year, what a perfect time for SWAT to be in action. Right. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what SWAT can can add to the discussion on, on El Nino. We've had a couple releases of imagery recently on the NASA side showing the development of El Nino. And, and we just had one a couple of weeks ago that kind of connected the um, evolution of this El Nino to increase flooding. So I think it's already adding to the discussion. And as more researchers um, get their hands on on the data, I think we'll see an even, even greater progression. So really, really great to have this big ocean feature um, coinciding with with our SWAT uh, SWAT measurements being made. It's a good opportunity. Well, I saw um, in September there was a big conference about like some of the first science findings after you know basically almost a year in orbit. Can you both chime in on some of the your big takeaways from the first science coming out of of SWAT? So I'll start with you, Tamlin. Yeah. So on the hydrology side of things. What I would say is that we're at we're at the stage where we're starting to see glimpses. The oceanography data and the hydrology data that come out of of SWAT are subtly different. So, um, one of the cool technical advances of SWAT is is it's um, it's one of the first satellites that does a lot of its processing for the ocean data actually on board. It does the, this really complicated uh, processing called interferometry on board the satellite and sends the ocean data down, and so that ocean data is kind of ready to go, and the oceanographers have taken off with it. On the hydrology side of things, we have to do a lot of data processing once the data is on the ground. And so a lot of the advances that we've been seeing in hydrology are sort of focused on the sort of process of getting our data to a place where we can go do science. That said, as I said, we're starting to see flashes of, of what we're going to be able to do scientifically. And it's in things like being able to accurately measure the slope of a river from space down to, uh, you know, one or two centimeters per kilometer. 
which we've we've certainly never been able to do before, or seeing things that we didn't expect, like really strong and coherent elevation signals off of snow surfaces in some cases, which um, there's been a lot of speculation about over the years. We never knew quite what we were going to get, but uh, it seems like in some cases we can we can get uh, get snow topography, or seeing um, some places where we had. Uh, specific events. So early on in the in, in the mission, we had this period where we were only covering a small part of the globe, but we were covering that part every day. And it just so happened that one of the places that we were flying over every day or orbiting over every day was uh, the Dnieper River in Ukraine. And you might remember that there was that big dam failure that uh, that happened yeah. uh, a few months ago in the spring um, or in the summer, I guess. And it turns out that we actually imaged the flood that happened after that uh, every day from the first day when it started happening on several days. And we can really see that flood wave move down the river. So what I would say is those are glimpses. And we're really excited as the SWAT data in the next few months starts to get the processing starts to get really good enough for us to do our science. We're excited to dig in even further. And what about you, Ben? Yeah, I, I would probably give a similar answer to Tamlin that I, I don't know if it's necessarily science advances, but we're starting to see, I think at that meeting in September, we started to see some glimpses and some results that were very interesting. And I think are really generated some excitement about uh, what could be done next as we really get into to the data. And I, I think example of some of those, the resolutions, we talked about those eddy features, which are are pretty small in the ocean down to, to tens of kilometers we really are able to resolve some of those features with great detail and and I think seemingly good accuracy. That that effort's kind of underway to to understand how accurate we're actually measuring these these features. But um, we're we're able to see features down to ten kilometers, potentially less. Our images in the coastal areas, up bays and estuaries, um, I think are, are very, very promising as well. There was a, a whole session on um, coastal areas within that SWAT science team meeting, which was really interesting. And I, I think something that um, is indicative of, of how promising the results look. Um, in addition, there's just some really interesting features that have popped out as people started to look at the data. So uh, we already talked about what's happening uh, with sea ice and, and some of the ice cover parts of, of the ocean. So again, some really promising results there. And then some others that are maybe less talked about, but um, understanding the, the mean sea surface. So basically how the ocean is responding to Earth's gravity field and kind of your uh, where the ocean is typically on average. Um, SWAT, with its uh, initial one-day repeat orbit that it was in for the first few months, is providing some really promising results there, revealing new detailed features of what's happening, not just on the surface of the ocean, but what happens underneath the ocean. So I think it's uh, kind of across the board, there are these promising results that people are excited to look at in more detail. I'd like to ask you both kind of a, a kind of a big picture question here. And I'm thinking about a book I just recently read about America's first women astronauts. It's called The Six by Lauren Grush. Great book, and I highly recommend it. Uh, there was a really interesting section in there about America's first woman astronaut, Sally Ride. And then after she got done with her shuttle missions, um, she really became uh, an advocate for NASA starting to observe Earth and was a big, big part, a driver of that, which is a big part of NASA's uh, mission now. And uh, I'd just like to get your, both of your takes on, you know, why is it so important for NASA to study Earth? So let's start with you, Ben. 
Yeah, I mean, so so uh, maybe I'm a little biased as an Earth scientist and oceanographer, but I mean, in terms of societal relevance, obviously, Earth is is really the key, and uh, we're undertaking this really big global experiment that we're calling climate change and, and trying to understand how Earth is responding and all the different systems um, and how they interact on Earth is, is so key. So I think it uh, can sometimes become a little bit of a, a cliche, but um, I've got kids um, who are under 10 years old trying to understand what the coastlines, what the ocean, what the land is going to be like for them as they they get older and and how they'll be able to to live their lives and how it will be different from how we're living our lives now, I think is a really key question, really the question of our time um, from a science perspective. So I, I uh, think that the, the observations we have, the continued monitoring of the changes that are occurring are, are so key and so important. How about you, Tamlin? I really like Ben's answer. I think I would add on to that, you know, why NASA? Why is it important that NASA study the Earth? And to me, in a lot of ways, NASA, I mean, it's a research and development agency, right? It, it it builds these incredible things, whether it's, you know, a sky crane dropping a rover onto Mars or, you know, sending a probe way deep into outer space, these things that we might not have thought were possible. And it would be a, sh a shame if we didn't apply that kind of ingenuity and expertise to studying the planet and 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 the place that's that's fundamentally the most important to us. So I'm really glad that NASA studies the Earth because it has these incredible capabilities. And I, you know, we wouldn't know nearly as much about our home planet if we weren't applying those capabilities to study it. And let's talk a bit about the future uh, and and SWAT. How long of a mission is this? So uh, this is Tamlin. Nominally, it's a three and a half year mission, and we're about a year into that. But what I would say is that NASA has a long history of under-promising and over-delivering on, on, on mission lengths. And this is not to say that there's any guarantees in this business, but there are an awful lot of NASA missions that uh, you know started out with a three-year or a five-year lifetime and lasted for um, a decade or sometimes significantly longer than that. And so I'm not sure any of us know how long SWAT will last, but uh, my secret hope is that we get more than, uh, maybe not so secret hope, is that we get more than uh, the three and a half year uh, nominal lifetime. And then looking beyond SWAT, um, there is the, the new Earth System Observatory, a fleet of satellites. Could you just maybe give us really a briefly an overview of what that's going to be like and when that's going to happen? Yes, yeah, so the Earth System Observatory, ESO, is uh, something where, that um, kind of a concept that to connect some of the missions that are either launching soon or planned to launch in the, in the near future. It's this recognition that there are so many interconnected processes and understanding our climate and, and Earth as a whole really requires this constellation of, of um, kind of uh, related observations. And that's really what the ESO is is working towards. Um, SWAT was, I don't think, I'm trying to think of it, it changed. It was not part of the original design of the ESO, partially because it uh, kind of came first and has already launched. But um, it, it certainly plays a key role in, in how those other observations will be used. And and some of the important research and application questions will will sit at the um, the intersection of some of these different missions. So I think it's a really good concept and a, and a good idea to think about these as a, a network of satellites as opposed to one-offs that you then kind of have to connect after the fact. 
So they'll each be kind of separately studying their kind of component of the Earth systems, and then you you kind of put it all together as a suite. Is that kind of how it's going to work? Yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be one of those things where they they are certainly their own separate missions. They have their own science teams, all that stuff. But um, yeah, trying to to provide tools and resources for those science teams to work together, and for the the data systems that NASA builds to find ways to integrate these to provide useful information, um, both to scientists and also those that need it um, around the world. So that's that's really how these things are connected. And we have um, we have other satellites being launched soon. Pace. NISAR coming up next year. So important missions that are going to continue to uh, expand out. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the upcoming missions? Yeah. So uh, PACE is uh, focused on ocean color. So looking at uh, at how um, material that's moving around the ocean, whether that's chlorophyll or other things, uh, how that varies in space and time. And NISAR is it's another radar satellite mission a little bit like SWAT but it's uh, operating at significantly longer wavelengths and it's going to be studying all kinds of different things from uh, forest biomass to wetland inundation to ice sheet processes and a bunch of other things so they're both going to be really workhorse satellites that are going to tell us a lot about many different important processes and then finally, uh, it's always fun personally. You you guys both seem like uh, guys who really enjoy their work. I can just tell from talking to you. I'd like to know just briefly, you know, Ben, how did you first get interested in becoming an oceanographer? Tell us like briefly how, how that got started for you to get you where you are now. Yeah, so a little secret, I guess, at the end of the uh, the podcast, I'm not actually a oceanographer. I'm an aerospace engineer by training. So my background is actually in those satellite altimetry missions. Um, going back to, I think I started working on this around the time Jason 1 was was launched. Um, so I started looking at sea level and some of these ocean processes. And, and over time, I've really started to work more and more on the ocean and trying to understand what we can learn uh, from satellites. So I think I'm an honorary oceanographer at this point. And then Tamlin, what about you? What led you to your love of hydrology? Yeah, so I grew up um, in interior Alaska in cabins with no electricity or running water. And I spent a fair amount of time out on rivers and along rivers in, in Alaska growing up. And so my interest in hydrology really came from observing phenomena that happened along those rivers and wondering what the heck was, was, uh, was going on with them. And then in college, I started to learn more about satellite imagery and remote sensing. And I realized that uh, looking at the, at, at the earth from above was really cool. And so I went to grad school to combine the two of those interests. Well, Ben uh, Hamlington, uh, engineer turned oceanographer, and Tamlin Pavelski, a hydrologist from the University of North Carolina, thanks for sharing this really interesting mission, SWAT, with us. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, and it's going to be interesting to learn you know, what comes out you know, in the future with the science of this. So thanks for joining us to talk about it. Thanks a lot for having us. My pleasure. Thanks again to our guests from the United States and French Cooperative Surface, Water, and Ocean Topography Mission, oceanographer Ben Hamlington from NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena, and hydrologist Tamlin Favelsky from the University of North Carolina. You can learn more about the SWAT mission at swot.jpl.nasa.gov. Blue Dot is a production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio in beautiful and talented Northern California. We're distributed by PRX. If you want to revisit, share, or check out past episodes, you can do just that on our website, 
mynspr.org. And while you're at it, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode on our website, the NPR One app, or wherever you get your podcast groove on. The theme music, Big Wave Dave, is by Matt Schiltz. Blue Dot is engineered and produced by the maestro, Matt Fiddler. For all of us here, I remind you there that from deep space, we all live on a pale blue dot. Thank you.